How INTJ Personalities Remade the World. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Clive Thompson, contributing writer to New York Times Magazine, Wired, and the Smithsonian Magazine, and author of Coders, The Making of a New Tribe and the Remaking of the World. Welcome, Clive. Good to be here. So give us a brief summary of your background, including the part where you devoured books about basic. <laughs> Um, well, I, uh, I'm a computer nerd from way back. I learned programming on like the VIC-20 and the Commodore 64 and all those, you know, plug into your TV computers of the early 80s. Uh, just like, you know, basic books from the library and looking at friends code and just trying to make stuff run. I didn't actually own a computer, so I had to just like write it all on paper. And then when I could get five minutes out of computer, see if it would execute. I just, it was, it was so much fun. But I, but I decided I really liked writing. I became a writer. And I kind of unified the two things because I when, I, when I started doing magazine writing in the 90s, the internet was exploding. And I became completely fascinated by how technology was changing, you know, every aspect, uh, all the warp and woof of daily life. And that's what I've been writing about uh, for the last 20, 25 years. What motivated you to write coders and how did you go about conducting the background research for your interviews? Well, uh, the motivation was that I realized most people have absolutely no idea how code is made, right? I mean, like if you ask them, how is, you know, a 747 made, you know, they would have a vague idea, you know, you put wings on the fuselage. Uh, but, you know, or, or how is open heart surgery done? You know, they don't really know the details, but they have a visual image of it. They have absolutely no clue, uh, you know, how code is made or, you know, what are its joys and its tortures and its torments um, and or who's doing this and why they're doing it. So I really wanted to capture uh, the art, the craft, and the people who are doing it and why they're doing it. What motivates someone to sit in a room telling computers what to do all day long? That's big. So as for the research, it was just calling up developers uh, up and down like the stack from literally the founders of, you know, Instagram and Netscape on down to like, you know, the, the person managing the JavaScript, your local bank and everything in between. You know, I wanted to capture an incredibly wide range of people who do development. You open the book with a chapter titled, The Software Update That Changed Reality. And the part that intrigued me about that chapter was that the person behind the update was a young woman. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I guess I want you to talk about that. Tell us, tell sure. us about Ruchi and what she did. Well, she was an incredibly interesting story because people forget this, but in 2005, 2006, back when she joined Facebook, nobody wanted to work for Facebook. Like all the actual serious developers thought that this social networking stuff was a total fad and it was going to implode and no way in hell were they going to join this crazy little startup where people are just posting pictures and like stupid updates of what they had for lunch. So um, she, on the other hand, actually went the opposite way. She got a job after she graduated. She got a job at Wall Street being a coder for a bank took one look at the cubicles and was like, I can't do this. Quit on her first day, turn tail left, fled to San Francisco, worked for Oracle. And then one day a friend of hers brought her by Facebook and she thought it was like just awesome. She thought like this was code that was changing the world. She could really get what they were doing and the scope of their, the scope of their ambition. And so she loved them and they needed developers. So they, they hired her, the first, uh, first female developer for, for, for Facebook. You have a chapter about the INTJ personality type. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is it about coders that makes this Myers-Briggs uh, <laughs> personality category so prevalent? 
Well, the first thing is like, it requires um, you to sit alone for a long time staring at a screen, right? So that is going to select away a lot of the extreme extroverts. It's not to say there aren't extroverts there, there are, but they're probably in the minority. Um, it also requires you to be extremely logical, you know, to break complicated things down into little steps and to be extremely meticulous, like the slightest, you know, uh, um, the, the slightest piece of punctuation out of, out of order can destroy the whole program. So it's people who are like, you know, logical and very meticulous, almost to a fault, as they would tell me, like, you know, they, they can become, they can become kind of those annoying people in conversation who are like, you know, what do you mean? Say what you mean more clearly. Um, so they're like that. And they're all, but they're also, it, it, there's some things I was surprised. They're, they're really good at enduring frustration because coding is unbelievably frustrating. Nothing's ever working. Everything's always broken. Uh, and they're, they're really into efficiency. They love taking things that are wrote, uh, you know, or boring human tasks and automating them. That literally gives them the biggest thrill on the planet. That, that's, that's one of the things that really keeps them there. You say that coding is endless hours of brutal grinding frustration. Why? Well, it's because there's so many ways for software to go wrong, right? Uh, the first one could be something simple, like you just, you, you made a slight typo. And, and when it goes wrong, like, you know, the, the, the interpreter doesn't often give you, sometimes it gives you absolutely no clue what's going wrong. It's just, it's just sitting there glowering at you, paring its nails, waiting for you to do, to not suck, right? Uh, and so you're scratching your head and pounding your face against the keyboard and going online and trying desperately to see if someone has the same error. And that could be something that you just wrote like five minutes ago. Or it could be that you wrote something and it's fine, but it's interacting with another piece of code that was really terribly written like 20 years ago and there's just some hairball in there. Uh, or it's going online and users are doing really weird things that you never expected. So there are like so many ways for things to go wrong that the act of coding, like people think coding is like, it's what they see on TV, you know, sitting there and, and, and the code pouring out of them. No, it's literally staring at a bug and trying to figure out what the hell is going wrong and just puzzling and puzzling and puzzling. That's like 95% of coding. Is being is being baffled. In those early wild days of computing and the internet, it's easy to visualize a coder as also being the problem-solving visionary who changes right. the world. I think kind of Mr. Robot-like, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. How how has the profession evolved since then? Is it <laughs> is it still possible for a lone wolf programmer to invent the next killer app, or mm -hmm. does it take a team with a wide set of skills and expensive tools? Um, there are definitely still like individual people who do remarkable things. There are lots of little p tools that come online that make something more efficient, that um, work in the background and improve your life in a way that you don't even realize that are the product of some open source, uh, uh, you know, aficionado who does something great. There are still products that are produced by, you know, one or two people. Um, but I would say what happens is this. It's not that it's not that it's not possible for someone small to make something new and kind of interesting world changing. The difference is, that all the VCs want things to grow and get huge really quickly. And it's hard to make something huge with three people. Like once you've got 10 million, 100 million, 1 billion people beating away at your app, you need a lot of people. You're running a city and like it is complicated. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things begin small. They still begin small. Uh, but the goal is to make them really big, really fast. That's sometimes where the problems lie, frankly, because it's, it's hard to build something that grows fast and responsibly at the same time. What was your through all the research you did and mm -hmm. all the preparation yeah. you did through writing this book, what was your biggest surprise? Was there something that really sure. had an impact mm -hmm. on you? Yeah. Um, 
you know, one of the things that was fascinating was this history of women in, in coding, right? Because I was sort of dimly aware that there was kind of more women involved in coding in the 60s and the 50s. But it was wild talking to these women who are in their 80s now. And they're all like, oh, yeah, like I just I graduated from music at Wellesley and AT&T came by and was like, we need coders and I missed the interview process. So they sent me a ticket to fly me up to their office just for the interview. And they gave me a logic puzzle and I passed it and they hired me. And then she went on to become like a, like a rock star coder. Like this is, the door was so open. It was so, there was no gatekeeping. There was no preconceived notions of what a coder looked and walked like. All they cared about was people who were ambitious and loved puzzle solving. And so in many ways, it was actually more meritocratic back in like 1960 than it is today. 27% uh, of all the coders working in the US in 1960 were women. And in 2013, which is the last year I have good numbers on, it was slightly lower, 26%. So it actually went backwards. And that story, um, I mean, again, it didn't 100% surprise me, but the details, how, what a wonderful, just, you know, wild west of opportunity it was back then, that really struck me. What do we need to do, Clive? What do we need to do to change that, to get more sure. women in? A couple things. More, more, if you want more women and more underrepresented groups in coding, um, you got to begin early. You got to do stuff that gets uh, these kids who might be pushed away or never encouraged to sort of do coding like in middle school because, you know, the young boys still get kind of pushed to do that. And the young girls and the, and the visible minorities don't, right? So there's a lot of great groups, you know, like Girls Who Code um, and, uh, uh, you know, a Black Girls Code are doing fantastic work, Code with Classy at like, summer camps. That gets, that lets you discover, lets all these young women, the 10% of them who really are going to be addicted, they discover it and they keep at it but you know it also requires um you know actual uh, uh computer science education to reform a little bit they currently are very much devoted to like the sort of shoegazing hacker who like you know like maybe like when i was a kid like did nine years of hacking before he showed up on college and those people are not frankly always the best developers man they wind up being kind of terrible in, in a company so you need to change the way that's taught and then at the top level the last thing is you need to just hire better like you need a lot of these companies really they, they they have this real kind of what they call pattern matching they're like well the last 10 guys we hired were like you know white dudes and hoodies so let's hire another one like that it's like well you know, that's like a, that's like a, that's a, that's a neural net logic, man. That's like replicating the past to predict the future. And uh, it doesn't, it doesn't change the world. If you want to change the world, you have to make different decisions. On the flip side of that, what advice can you offer to the aspiring programmer of any age sure. that, yeah. or of any background today? Uh, um, first off is uh, it's enormously fun. Like I would encourage everyone to at least try it. Like there's a huge number of online courses now. Uh, I use free code camp and code Academy and uh, um, this amazing Python guide called learn Python the hard way. And, it was terrific. Like I was not, I'm not going to make him a full-time developer, right? Like I'm not, I'm a journalist, but it was so fun, mentally fun to do that puzzle solving and to see things come to life. And now I like in my spare time, I write all these weird little apps that I use to make myself more effective and more efficient as a journalist. Right? So I think that like actually a lot more people should like try it out and just see whether or not, because again, it's only going to be like this, you know, the, the minority who I think really get bit by that bug, but you will never know until you try it. So I tell everyone just to, just to, just to give it a shot. You never know until you try it. You're right, Clive. Yeah. Clive Thompson, author of Coders, The Making of a New Tribe and the Remaking of the Old World, or of the World, rather. In world. fact, uh, I have a copy. I hope you guys will Fantastic. check it out. If somebody wants to get a copy, Clive, maybe they want to just connect with you personally. How can they do that? All right. Well, the books are everywhere online and at bookstores. Uh, you can reach me as a Pomeranian99 on Twitter, long story, uh, or you can go to my website, clivethompson.net, and there's lots of links there. Sounds good. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.